So usually, uh, if you're new here, I get the privilege each week of bringing God's Word, and I love to do that, but you get the privilege tonight of hearing from someone other than me. After me speaking for the last four weeks, you need a break from my voice, and so we're really excited to hear Isaac speak to us tonight from God's Word. Just before he, he comes, I want to give you a brief update of what happened last weekend. We had a vision workshop. We had about 55 people leaders and members in the room and it was wonderful a ton of good ideas were raised throughout the day we're here all day saturday so i want to just thank you to to all those who gave up their entire saturday to be here and contribute to that it was wonderful so the leaders are are now um have the huge task of uh, following up all those good ideas so please be praying for us pray for the holy spirit to bring clarity to those ideas that need to really be moved forward. We, we don't just want good ideas, we want God ideas. Well, otherwise we're wasting time. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labour in vain. So we, we want to be in step with the Spirit of God. And um, just to give you a bit of a taster of some of the things that came out of the day and some of the things that are still stirring us uh, coming at, coming from that, was this whole concept of a neighbourhood church, as I was praying into that day before and after, that thought continues to endure with me. And the thing I think that's unique about Axis, well, it was the first church in North Lakes. And um, the thing that's that's unique about it is that now there's 15 or more churches in the suburb, and yet we are, we are in a unique position in the middle of the neighbourhood. Um, Every other church is up on the highways and byways. Uh, This church has a significant place right in the heart of the suburb. And there's something about that. And I think that idea plugs into the history of Axis too. As I learn more about the history of Axis, I've been going back watching old videos of Troy, who was uh, fundamentally in planting the church and had such a key role here over many years. And his his dream with with the name Axis was that 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 everything would centre around Christ. That the Christ would be the axis upon which everything swirls around. And I guess this idea of the neighbourhood church follows on that. It's almost like another chapter in the same story. Story as we become the access point of this community and, and, and the activities of this community centre around this place. Now, I know that opens up lots of questions. What does it mean to be a good neighbour? We talked a few weeks ago about being salt and light. Salt makes things better, light makes things brighter. So it's about us being a good neighbour which raises another question, what if I don't live in the neighbourhood? I mean, many of us don't. I don't actually live in the suburb myself. And so many of us live outside of North Lakes, and yet the Bible says um, in Luke 10, and you can go there and look at it in your own time. I'm not preaching tonight. I'm nearly done. Um, you can go there and look at what it means to be a good neighbour. It means to, to care about others wherever you are. That's the whole idea of being a good Neighbor. So we're starting to be a good neighbour to this, this suburb by bringing the Good Friday Festival to them, um, by bringing that, that sense of salt and light through that event, by bringing the community together to have fun and uh, have a good time and celebrate Easter in that way. But that's only just a start. I mean, we have hundreds of people gathering at this building just across the sporting field there every single week. What an opportunity that is 
for us to be salt and light, for us to minister to them. So we look forward to continuing to press in. The board have already met this week as a follow-up to last weekend. We're meeting again very soon to have another follow-up meeting. We recognise we've got our work cut out as we continue to pray and press into these dreams that God is putting upon us. And we just um, long for your prayers to support us within that. This whole idea of being a good neighbour is a mindset, not a geographical location. So don't be tied into thinking, I need to live near the church. No, no, no. It's, it's what, what we can do with a mindset of, of taking the gospel out and being a good neighbour to wherever we find ourselves. But what an opportunity we have here at Access to be a good neighbour to this particular suburb. And we look forward to pressing into the call of God within that. Isaac's going to come and give us God's word. Now I'm going to pray for him as he comes. Lord, we thank you for the heart you have placed in Isaac to want to follow you, to want to um, share your word with us tonight. I pray for a calming of his nerves and I pray, Lord God, that you would empower him to bring the message that you've laid on his heart. And I pray that we, both those of us listening online, those of us here in the room, would be good soil, that we would be, be ready to hear and engage with your word and have our lives changed because of it. We pray this all for the sake of Jesus and his good name. Amen. Thanks, mate. Well, thanks for coming, everyone. I'm pretty sure Jono just touched on everything I needed to say, so that's it. He kind of just kept going and kept going. I think I need to make a comment in regard to that Peacock Adventures. There was only two of those that were fake and fabricated, and that was the one with Dale's kids and someone else. You know, some people take losses worse than others, but that's just how it goes, unfortunately. How are we all going tonight? Wow, you sound as excited as I am to be here. How are we going tonight? Woo, that's more like it. So for those of you who don't know, this is my second time preaching. And um, so I preached a few weeks ago for the first time. And I got an overwhelming feedback that hearing me preach is kind of like drinking from a fire hydrant. So I'm going to make the best effort that I possibly can to slow down tonight. I said to myself the first time, I was like, oh, it's just because I was nervous. I won't be as nervous next time. Definitely as nervous. You're packing bricks. So... But it should be good. God's good. So over the past couple of weeks, we've been moving through this series called the Coming Together series. And it's based on Acts 2 verses 42, where the people dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship and the breaking of bread. And over the past couple of weeks, Jono has been looking at the prayer side of things and how we can come together through prayer and what that invitation looks like. It's an invitation it's more of a relational opportunity than a religious obligation. And that was kind of the thing he focused on. If you haven't heard that message already, I encourage you to pop over to the YouTube channel and hear that because that was just super encouraging. But tonight, I'm going to be focusing on the area of coming, coming together through fellowship. So we're starting that off now. I just want to share a quick story with you before I start. Um, so I used to work at Coles in Mango Hill. Woo, shout out Coles. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so I worked there and it was great, but about two months ago I quit because I wanted to focus on the ministry and I wanted to focus on what God was doing in my life. Um, but I was there one night and I was there with a guy called Alex. It was He's just kind of been hired there at the time, so he'd done a few shifts and we were doing a close together and on a close it's just you and the other person. So you get to talk to them a bit and you get to find out a bit about their life. But we were just kind of chatting away and he said to me, like he was just talking to me about what I do, about what he does and then what I do. And so I said to him... Um, I go to Bible college, that's really cool. I go, I work at the church and the youth ministry and that sort of thing. And he was like, oh, wow. He's like, so you're a Christian? And I said, yeah, I am one of those people. And he was like, oh, okay. And then he said, look, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a Christian, but he, 
he started to talk about it and he said, but I love worship music. I love listening to worship music. It helps me calm down. It helps me relax. Um, it helps me fall asleep. And I was like, that's so cool. So I started to share with him about the meeting, which is like a group that's kind of like outside access that myself and a few of other friends, we started. Um, and it's over there in Clontarf. So I invited him to that. I said, yeah, it's basically just a worship night for an hour and a half. You get to come. It's a great time. You should definitely come. And he said, wow, that's super cool. And then, um, he paused for a second and he looked at me and he said, there's something about faith, belief, religion, and all these things that it's just better experienced together. And I was, I was like blown away. I was like, this is a guy that's like, he's not really a Christian. He doesn't necessarily understand what that's all about, but he still knows that faith is better shared together. So I think that's the whole reason why we're doing this series coming off the back of such an isolated year just really focusing on that faith and belief and all these things are better shared together. So I just want you to keep that in your minds as we begin tonight. But the scripture that's going to help guide us in this area is Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. But before we read that scripture, I'd just like to paint a picture for you, give you a little bit of historical context about what was going on in Hebrews at the time. And then I want to share with you a problem that I found when I was reading it. So Hebrews is this book in the New Testament that have they kind of have an idea about who wrote it, but there's no set in stone author. So it's kind of an unknown author at this point. But the book or letter was directed at the Hebrew Christians at the time. And they, they were going undergoing severe persecution, socially, physically, from the Jews and from the Romans. And Christ had not yet returned after his death on the cross. So they were kind of freaking out. And they needed some sort of reassurance to tell them, hey, look, this, this Christianity that everyone's talking about, this Jesus, he is the Messiah. This is the hope that you should be focusing on. But they were struggling with this. And because of the persecution and the, because of the spiritual or biblical immaturity, they were considering, considering returning to Judaism, which was their religion of the time. And so this is kind of where we find ourselves in Hebrews, where the author is trying to give them a call to persevere in faith. It's like, here's why you should do it. Um, so that's where we find ourselves in Hebrews. So with that in mind, let's just read it together. And if you want to follow along, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have, great, have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. <clears throat> so when I was reading this scripture, at first it seemed normal, you know, it's something normal that you'd expect to be told to people who are struggling in their faith and their relationship with God. But as I continued to read it, the language in there jumped out at me. And so the author gives the Hebrew Christians three exhortations or calls to action to help them with their faith. And the first is, let us draw near to God. The second, in verse 23, is let us hold unswervingly to the hope. And the third, in verse 24, is let us consider how we can spur one another on in love and good deeds. But as I kept, as I kept reading this, the language used jumped out at me. And I'm just going to repeat those, but just with some certain emphasis. It says, let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess and let us consider how to spur each other on in love and good deeds. And in the early church culture, and Jono was talking about this a few weeks ago, they did everything together. 
Everything they did was with a togetherness focus in their minds. Johnny was talking about you'd be in a bedroom and aunt would be on the top, you'd be on the bottom bunk. Everyone was living in the same place. And when they went to work, the, the, men, the boys would go with the men and they'd learn the family trade. And the women would stay at home and learn with the mothers. But they did everything together. They learned together. They grew together. And I think in our current culture, the only thing that I can relate closely to that is the Thompson family. For those of you who don't know the Thompsons, they're a family in our church, and their house is a mad one. Um, it's full of, like, everyone in their family is living in the same household, pretty much. And they're very just relaxed about people coming into their house. Like, they don't even, they give up their beds at any given point. Um, but yeah, and if you invite them over to your house, you better be expecting that the whole of New Zealand's going to show up. And you better have food to feed them, I tell you what. But that's kind of what it was like in Hebrew culture. They just did everything together. They lived together and were in communion with one another all the time. And so I think when the author of Hebrews was talking about this, it wouldn't have been shocking to them. This plurality of the message that he was saying, they wouldn't have been surprised when he was saying, let us, let us, we. But I think when we read it and when I read it, I, in, I instantly thought individualistically, how can I draw near to God? How can I hold unswervingly to the hope that I profess? How can I encourage others in love and good deeds? And I think we've come so far from that early church mindset of togetherness. And I think the individual race with God has taken its place. And now I in no way, shape or form want to discredit the individual relationship with God because that's 100% necessary. But I don't think that that's the problem here. And if I can say this, I think the church already knows that. It's preached about all the time. It's our dominant hand. We know that we need to grow individually with our relationship with God, but the problem is we need to grow in our non-dominant hand. How can we learn to do the everyday Christian life with a togetherness focus in mind? And I think the sad thing is, like, I don't even know my next door neighbor's name. Like, and I think we've grown so distant in our culture and in the way that we do things today from the people around us. And the equal greatest commandment was love God and love others. And you see, I don't think we can have this relationship with God without this relationship with other people horizontally as well. I think they both need to flourish in the same capacity. And I'm not trying to say that we'll ever be able to get back to what was happening in Hebrews unless you go to the Thompson household. But the point is, how can we learn from this scripture? What can we do? How can we read it with a togetherness focus in mind so we can learn something in our current context? How can we be inspired to begin to work towards a more communal focus in this area of fellowship? So let's dive in and look at the first exhortation that the, the author gave the Hebrews. Let us draw near to God. And again, we already know the importance of drawing near to God individually. But what does it look like to draw near to God together as a family, as a community, as a church? And I think the thing I love about these exhortations that he's giving is the author gives you the what, like what you're supposed to do, and the how as well. Right after it mentions, let us draw near to God, it says, with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So how can we draw near to God? The first thing we need to do, well, firstly, is with a true, sincere heart. And this word, true, this word sincere means true or dependable. It's more than just sincerity, although it does include this. You see, many people come to God in sincerity, but not in truth. And our relationship with God demands both of those things. 
Drawing near to God with a true heart is every believer's responsibility when gathering together with other believers and when having fellowship with one another. It's not just Jono's responsibility. It's not just the elders' responsibility or people in the church volunteering, whatever it might be. It's every single one of your responsibility when gathering together with other believers to do so with a sincere heart. So how does this look practically? What does it mean to come with a sincere heart? Well, it means that before we worship, before we pray, before we learn together, before we come to church, before we do a small group or something like that, we need to have confronted our own hypocrisy and known sin before we enter a gathering. And this is a huge realization for some people. The things you do, now realizing that the things you do in your own time can have an effect on the people sitting right next to you and the people in this room. That's crazy. So if you've been up all night watching pornography, maybe you're bound by some other sort of addiction, or maybe you've just had like a really, really tough week and you're just coming to church or wherever you are with just a really bad attitude. These things that we're doing in our personal lives actually have an effect on the people sitting right next to you and the people in the body of Christ. How crazy is that? Like when I was looking into this, that just blew my mind how the things that I'm like selfish about and the things in my individual life can actually have an effect on other people. So if we want to draw near to God together, the first thing we got to do is make sure that we gather with a true heart. And this isn't to say that we need to have all of our problems solved and our life completely sorted out before we come to church. I think it's about having the right attitude. And I was listening to a song maybe like a week and a half ago, and it's called Breathe. And it was a spontaneous worship song. And in the song, it's talking about how we should come to God. It said we should come to God with a genuine, real devotion. And then it says, yeah, it's weak, but it's real. And I think that just encompasses everything that this part is talking about. It's not like you have to have your life completely sorted out, everything perfect before you come to church. It's about coming with genuine, real devotion, checking your heart before you come. Yeah, it can be weak, but it's just got to be real. We've got to come to church and meetings with other people, knowing that we've confronted the things in our own life before we come, because it does have an effect on other people. So that's the first one. How else can we draw near to God together? Is with a confident faith. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. When we gather, when we worship, when we pray, when we have fellowship with one another, God wants us to do so with a confident faith. And why did the author of Hebrews say this? Because the first readers of this passage were really, really struggling with this confidence in the faith. Their faith was waning because of the things and the persecution that was going on in their life. And look, I think in our lives right now, we're facing a very different type of situation than they're facing. But I can tell you right now that people are struggling with their confidence in the faith. People are waning because of the circumstances that are going on in their life. And later in the chapter we read, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, which is that God exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So there's this large emphasis on faith, this assurant, confident faith. But why and how, in the current context we live in, in our things that are going on in our life, how can we have such a confidence in this Christian faith? And if we read the very next line, it gives us the answer. Because we've had our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and we've had our bodies washed with pure water. And the New Living Translation words it like this. It says, For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And so this word sprinkle speaks of the purging of our hearts from an evil conscience. 
It is in the perfect tense in the Greek, which indicates a completed state or condition. In other words, the guilt is gone. In Christ, the believer's conscience has already been cleansed of guilt. When a sinner comes to Jesus and receives salvation, the guilt is removed. This is how we can draw near to God with a confident faith, because Jesus has paid the price for our guilt and sin, and we can rest assured knowing that he has paid the ransom for our sins. So I think when we gather, we shouldn't gather with anything less than a confident faith, because we know and we can rest assured that Jesus has paid the price for our guilt, and we can gather and come together with this assured confidence. But again, how does this look practically for us? I think this means that we have to be continually speaking the truth of the gospel over ourselves and other people. We have to learn to live in the freedom that already belongs to us in Christ. And we've got to be telling each other about that. If we want to draw near to God with a confident faith, then we need to be sharing the gospel with one another. Sharing with each other why you have the confidence you do in Christ. Share your testimony. Share the things that's going on in your life and how God is working in and through you on the daily. Like... Remind each other of the fullness of the forgiveness that we find in a relationship with Christ and how exciting that is. So this is how we draw near to God with a confident faith. So that's the first exhortation. Let us draw near to God. How do we do that? With a sincere heart and a confident faith. You still with me? Am I speaking too quickly? Oh, mixed emotions. Mixed emotions. Okay, let's move on to the second exhortation. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now, in my eyes, this seems to be a call to consistency or persistence in what has already been talked about. In other translations, it describes this action as holding tightly or holding fast, unswervingly to the hope that we have in Jesus. And to me, that, that wording suggests that this whole faith thing, it's not going to be easy. We're going to experience difficulty as we draw near to God together. And I'm not sure if anyone's noticed yet. Maybe it's just me, but life's hard. Sorry to break it to you, but life is hard. And guess what? It's even harder doing it with other people. Just ask the married couples. It is. Wouldn't it be all great if we were all like Graham? Amen. If we're all perfect Christ followers like Graham. But we're not. We're different. And that adds a level of difficulty but checking yourself and checking your heart attitude before you come to church, sharing the gospel with each other, mentoring and building relationships, sharing your testimony, spending time and fellowship together, drawing near to God together is so, so important. And I think this is why the author of Hebrews made specific reference to hold tightly to this hope that we have in Jesus, because he knew that it's not going to be easy. We're going to find significant difficulty and he didn't want them to lose this confidence they have because of the turbulence they're experiencing in their life. Because the devil's going to train and he's going to get in all those different cracks and he's going to make it as difficult as possible for you to have this confident faith in Jesus. But again, why should we hold unswervingly? Because he who promised is faithful. If we draw near to him, he promises that he will draw near to us. I'm not sure about you, but that's so exciting to hear for me. So again, how can we practically live this out? I think it means don't give up drawing near to God together. Don't give up checking your heart before you come in fellowship with one another. Don't give up sharing with one another, doing life with each other. Yes, it's going to be difficult, and I think COVID's made this even harder. But don't give up, because as we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. So let's move on to this final exhortation. 
let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And I think the target of this exhortation is quite obvious. It's just wanting us to push each other towards love and good deeds. But I think there's some significant things to notice here. And so when I was reading this, two words stood out to me straight away. And it's the words consider and the words spur. So this word consider alludes to some sort of careful preparation that needs to take place before any kind of constructive conversation can take place. And then the word spur. And the first thing I think about when I think about the word spur, excuse me, is the, is the spur on the back of your, your boot when you're riding a horse. Anyone ride a horse in here? Oh, yeah, all right. So that's what I think of when I think of a spur, the little spiky thing that rolls around. The interesting thing about that is it's not there because to give the horse a little tickle as it's riding along. That's not what it's designed to do. It's designed to make the horse move in a forward direction using an element of pain. And while that sounds pretty rough, I think these two words seem to suggest that loving one another won't just happen. It needs to be worked at, thought about, considered, and even provoked at times. You see, coming together is not always going to be cupcakes and rainbows. And I think we know that now. If we are called to spur one another on in love and good deeds, it means that sometimes we're not going to like it. It means it's going to feel like a jab in your side. But the beauty about spurs is that they're not made to make horses run in a backwards direction. They're made to make horses go in a forward direction. And in the same way, we need to realize that when others in the church or in your lives are saying these things to you, it's because they want to help you move forward in a positive direction. And I think this is the way we need to be communicating with each other, looking for opportunities in our week where we can sow positivity and life into other people. And for some of us, it's going to be a lot more, and for some of us, it's going to take a lot more consideration than others. And I'm one of those people. I'm a problem solver kind of guy. If someone comes to me with a problem, I'm like, I'm going to fix it straight away. Or if I see someone else, I'm like, I'm going to go try and fix that problem. But maybe, maybe this is you. Maybe you're seeing someone else and you're going, wow, I can really see that they're going through something difficult in their life. And I feel like I can shed some light on that. That's awesome. That's not the problem. I think we need to focus on carefully considering about how you go about talking to that person. Because every single person receives things differently. So this is what it's saying when you need to consider. You need to think about that person and thoughtfully prepare the way you're going to come and deliver that. And yes, they may not like it. We cannot control sometimes when the, how these conversations go and how people are going to react to it. But if you have thoughtfully considered, if you've considered and thoughtfully prepared for that specific person and you're doing it for the right motives, to move them forward in a positive direction, not drag them down, then God will honor you for that. But that's not all. It goes further into how we can spur one another on in love and good deeds. It says, do not give up meeting together as in some are in the habit of doing. How relevant is that for us today? The people in Hebrews were giving up meeting together because of persecution and we've stopped because of coronavirus. All those people online, you're all being disobedient. Every one of you. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. You guys smell too much anyway, so stay online. No, I love you guys. But with togetherness in mind, what can we learn from this call to action in our current context? Straight off the bat, I think it's pretty difficult to spur one another on in love and good deeds if you're not making an effort to meet with one another or contact one another. It's like coming out of your house, putting your boots on with the spur, going to spur your horse, but there's no horse. You can't do it. It's not going to work. So we need to be meeting with one another and contacting one another. And this suggests that no spurring to love is possible unless opportunities are given in order for the spurring and stirring process to take effect. 
Maybe you've seen this COVID, this COVID situation as an opportunity to maybe just slip out of a church without being noticed. Maybe you used to have a flourishing mentor-mentee relationship that's just slowly and slowly become less important and you've stopped meeting to share life with one another. Maybe because of your circumstances, you've just given up on other believers in general because time and time again, frankly, they've just let you down over and over. I'm here to tell you tonight not to give up. Hold tightly because he who promised is faithful. Do not give up meeting with one another. And maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum tonight. Maybe you need to be that person pursuing that togetherness. Maybe it's a matter of calling up that person and saying, hey, I've seen that you haven't been in church in a couple of weeks. Just want to ask if you're okay. Do you mind if we can catch up for a coffee or call or just see what's happening? Maybe it's, hey, we used to catch up for coffee like three years ago. Just checking in to see if you're okay. Can we catch up this week? You see, the beauty of the world we live in today is that we don't necessarily have to meet physically. We have all this technology. We've got FaceTime. We can call each other. We've got Zoom meetings. But I think what really matters is the intentionality behind it. And COVID's made this very, very difficult. It affects the way we worship together. Sometimes we want to hug each other. We can't hug each other. It affects the way we pray sometimes for each other. But that shouldn't affect the intentionality behind you meeting with other believers. If we look at the entirety of the New Testament, it lends no support to the idea of a lone Christian. Funny that. I think to have a healthy community and a body of Christ, we need to be seeing people being intentional about meeting with one another to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. So again, let us consider how we can spur each other on in love and good deeds by meeting together and lastly by encouraging one another. How important is it that we encourage each other, amen? If we look back at Proverbs for a moment, it gives us some key insight into the, into the power of encouraging words. It says, A person's words can be life-giving water. Words of true wisdom are as refreshing as a bubbling brook. Words satisfy the soul as food satisfies the stomach. Whew, don't I know it. The right words on a person's lips can bring satisfaction. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. If it's healthy for the body, we need to be doing it more. I think at the most basic level, Christians need to be strengthening and stimulating one another with encouraging words and actions. And I love how in this passage it says, encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And what it's talking about here is the second coming of Jesus. And he's probably saying to the people in Hebrews, they're thinking, oh, Jesus is returning soon. I don't need to encourage anyone. He's going to save me. It's all selfish. But no, you need to be encouraging others all the way up until you see the day approaching and all the more. But I kind of want to flip that on its head tonight and challenge you and say, what if that day was today? What if Jesus was returning today? How many people have you encouraged? How many people have you spoken life over today? And I want to encourage you now that as you go out into your week, that you would be looking for opportunities to encourage others and other believers. Because today, perhaps, that day might be for you today. Or it might be for someone else. So make the most of the opportunities you have to speak life over other people and encourage one another. And it's as simple as just seeing what someone's doing in their life and just affirming them in that. It might be whether someone was up on stage and did an awesome worship time or maybe someone's serving or you, maybe you see someone at your work and you just go to them and you say, hey, look, I just want to encourage you. I just saw what you did and that was incredible. You're just, that was just so awesome and you're such a valued member of the team. So thank you. It's just that simple. So whether you're at home or work or uni, at school, wherever you are, be intentional about speaking life over other people. 
And as I finish up tonight, I want to share with you a quote from a guy named Donald Guthrie. What a name. And it comes from a commentary he did on Hebrews 10, and I think it sums up all of these points pretty well. It says, Close and regular fellowship with other believers is not just a nice idea, but an absolute necessity for the encouragement of Christian values. See, this idea of coming together, it's a necessity. I don't think it's something we can be relaxed about. In the society we live in today that's just so toxic and so selfish, we need to be drawing near to God together, holding tightly and fast to the hope that we have in Jesus together and spurring each other on towards love and good deeds. That's all I've got to share tonight. I hope that God was speaking to you and that you learned something through that. Love yous all. John, are you... Am I closing in prayer or are you taking over again? I'll take that as he's taking over. <laughs> Thanks so much, mate. What a great encouragement to us all. And I'm just reminded of a scripture where it says, and I don't in any way want to diminish this whole idea that you would speak words of life over one another, even as you would leave this place tonight, or if you're online, that you'd make a call after watching this and um, stay. <laughs> and uh, But I just want to give you this quiet moment to find encouragement from God. We know the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. Um, the Bible says David encouraged himself in God. And so just as we close tonight, I'm going to give you that quiet moment to just say, Lord, what is the words of life that you want to speak over me right now? Would you take a quiet moment and think upon that?